Hello, friends. Have you noticed how much podcasts have grown in popularity over the past few years? We definitely have, and it's insane. We have an opportunity for your business to take advantage of the exponential growth of our podcast by advertising with us. We've been riding the podcast growth wave for a few years now, and we want you to take advantage of this too. We have unbeatable pricing and advertising packages, and we work with you on an individual basis to produce the most effective ad possible for our audience. If you would like to advertise with Forbidden Knowledge News, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We look forward to all our new partnerships. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is Nick Pope. Before I bring him on, I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity for you to mine your own cryptocurrency with a new helium miner, which you can now get for free. By deploying a simple helium hotspot in your home or office, you can provide your city with miles of low-power network coverage for billions of devices and earn a new cryptocurrency HNT. Mining HNT with hotspots is done via radio technology, not expensive or wasteful GPUs. Hotspots work together to form a new wireless network and undertake proof of coverage. You can start earning cryptocurrency right now by connecting your hotspot to the network with your mobile phone, and that's it. You'll also receive a phone call to verify your order before they ship it, so be sure to answer that call. You can just click this link in the description to get your free hotspot with free shipping right now. Also, please subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News on LBRY.com. It's our official backup channel. We also have a brand new show called Beyond Classified. It's exclusively on Rockfin, which is an amazing new uncensored platform for free-thinking content creators, independent media. You're going to find some amazing content creators there already. Also, you can get tickets right now to Forbidden Knowledge NewsCon 2021, which is going to be April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. They're going to have 12 amazing presenters. Just visit ForbiddenKnowledge.News to check out this year's awesome lineup. Get your tickets today. And finally, I just want to thank everyone that has made donations. They're so greatly appreciated and helping us out right now, uh, helping us bring you these amazing guests and information every day. Uh, all those links are in the description as uh, well as everything else that we talked about. Tonight, I want to welcome Nick Pope. He ran the British government's UFO project from 1991 to 1994. He's researched and investigated UFOs, alien abductions, crop circles, and other strange phenomenon. He has consulted and helped promote a number of alien-themed movies, TV shows, and video games. And he has hosted, consulted, and contributed to numerous TV shows. He's also written six best-selling books and lectures all around the world. Mr. Pope, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be on the show. Yes, I've been looking forward to talking to you. Um, when I look back just a few years ago, when I started this show, the topic of UFOs and aliens was still kind of woo-woo for most of society. Then all of a sudden, in the past few years, it's like UFO mania in the news and mainstream media on TV. Now we have tons of declassified documents coming out. So we're definitely living in interesting times, um, although there's a lot of disinformation going on as well. Uh, we have so much we can talk about, but since this is your first time on, and for those in the audience who may not have heard of you or are familiar with your work, I'd love to hear what got you started with the Ministry of Defense. 
Well, it was almost, I suppose, the family firm, if I can say that. Uh, my father was a senior government scientist, and uh, we always felt uh, in our family that that the idea of working, I, I suppose, for one's country was far more interesting and, and worthwhile, I, I think, not not just for for what it is, but personally worthwhile than just going to work for a corporation and slaving away to increase their profit margins. And even even if those are the sorts of jobs that pay better, I don't think it has the satisfaction that that the idea of working for the government has, whether it's Ministry of Defense or here in the US, the DOD or CIA or or the military, of course. Um, so when when it came for me to decide where where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, the idea that I would uh, go into the Ministry of Defense was was something that I had often felt I wanted to do, and and I I was privileged enough to do that for 21 years actually, and and of course the great thing about those sorts of jobs is that you get posted every few years, so. I, I talk about that as being a career, and it was. But within that career, I did, I, I, looking back now, including secondments, I suppose about seven or eight different jobs at increasingly higher level as I, I went on and went up. And the UFO job was one of those postings. I did it 91 to 94, as you said in your intro. But I did lots of other fascinating things too and and one or two things not quite so fascinating that's i guess you know it goes with the flow but but after after 21 years there when i took early retirement i i walked away and i thought well i very much enjoyed that and although i do different things now which i enjoy in a different way as i say i, I as a civilian employee working for the ministry of defense in the uk to my mind there were few more interesting places to be yeah, definitely. And before you were working there, did you have any idea you would be working with UFOs? Did you have any interest in the topic or anything like that? No, I didn't even know they did it. I, so I think when I joined the Ministry of Defense, one of the great things that everyone liked to do was pick up the classified internal telephone directory. And that was itself quite a highly classified document because it went into some detail. They stopped it um, after a while but and downgraded it. And all the descriptions became much more generic. But when I joined, it was uh, we have a level of classification confidential. And I, I think it's the same same definition. So fairly, fairly serious stuff. And we all... All us young junior managers, we used to enjoy leafing through the telephone directory and thinking, well, this would be a good place to be. That would be a good place to be. And of course, pretty much everyone had their eye on the handful of jobs in, in the Secretary of Defense private office, that sort of thing. And one day I was just leafing through it and I saw Secretariat Air Staff, which was name of the division and then it just said ufos and i was like what's that and little did i think that i, I think six years after i did that 
I would actually get that that one posting. Just by pure chance, I happened to be looking for a, a sideways move, as it was at that time, at exactly the time that that vacancy came up. I, I say chance, well, not quite chance, because I'd been seconded into the Air Force Operations Room in the Joint Operations Center for the Persian, the first Persian Gulf War. And I happened to be working very closely to that particular manager who had the vacancy. So there was a degree of, oh, yes, I know this person. Um, but as I say, yeah, uh, that's how it came about. But I had no prior knowledge of the subject, no interest in it. And to me, I know this might sound crazy, but going into it, I just thought, well, it's another three-year posting. I'll keep my head down. I'll do a good job. Hopefully, I'll get a promotion at the end of it which I did. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. Now, I want to get into some of the things that are happening right now when it comes to what you could call disclosure, I guess. Um, the former Israeli security chief who has been talking about extraterrestrials, uh, the um, space force that we have, uh, so a possible you know, secret space program, um, how our government knows that we've been you know, communicating with uh, these, these extraterrestrials, this galactic federation. I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, incredible stuff that he's, he's coming out and, and claiming to, to know. I'd like to get your thoughts on this, and why do you think he's coming out now and saying this? Well, I, this was certainly one of the big shock UFO-related stories that hit just before the end of last year. And of course, the controversy continues to this day. And a lot of people uh, scrambling around trying to figure out what's what's going on. Why did he come out and say this? Is is, is there any way to validate the information? And it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, this guy, if you look at his CV, I'm not sure how much Israel have put out about him, because of course, many aspects of the Israeli space program and satellite launches. And he was one of the people right at the outset of the Israeli space program, by the way, instrumental in getting the whole thing launched, pun intended, in the first place, and, and certainly uh, a leading light. I don't know, as I say, how much the Israelis have put out, but you can find his listing, I think, on the Smithsonian website somewhere where it talks about big figures in in aerospace and and he's listed there. And, and as ever with these sorts of CVs, this is an I, example, I think, of someone who's probably underplayed their CV in terms of what can be put out there. So yeah, when somebody like this comes out and makes claims like that, if it was someone off the street, you would think, well, they've gone crazy or they've been uh, watching too much of the Star Trek or Star Wars franchise. So, but this guy checks out. He is who he says he is. He's done what he said he did and much more besides. And as to, as to why and, and can we validate, those, those are more difficult questions. It's not clear to what extent this is information that he's legitimately come across whilst um, doing official work as opposed to maybe information that he's just picked up on open source material, the internet, the various UFO sites, and things that he's come to believe. You can have a similar debate, I suppose, about Paul Hellyer, 
um, who, when he was Defence Minister of Canada, did not come across information on this subject and only really became involved afterwards and came to believe many things about this subject. So maybe that's a good analogy, actually. The, the person checks out, but so far the information has not been validated. I mean, my goodness, talk of talk of a galactic federation and President Trump was just about to disclose when he was told no, humanity's not ready and had to walk it back. I mean, this really does sound pretty far out there. So I don't know. But you know what? In this business, I always look for those little coincidences and then remember that I was taught never to believe in coincidences. Interesting that just a few days after this Haim Eshed story broke, John Brennan, a former CIA director, gave, um, sorry, Brennan, I think, gave, gave a, an interview where he was asked about those three videos of US Navy jets chasing UFOs. He started off in a fairly low-key manner talking about possible weather phenomena. And then he ended up, albeit caveating it with a number of mites and coulds and things like that. But essentially, the bombshell phrase at the end of, of his thought was, uh, might constitute a different form of life. And suddenly it wasn't just Haim Ashed, it was, uh, it was John Brennan coming out with this as well. And, and you thought, well, that's a, an interesting sort of two-hit punch, so to, to speak. These two very different people coming out with related, different but related quotes just a few days apart. And as I say, for somebody who was taught never to believe in coincidences, it gives one pause for thought. But I think... I think this is this is going to run and run and and then we haven't I'm I'm going to try out my psychic powers now on you. I was going to say we haven't even discussed Avi Lowe but Harvard but maybe we'll we'll get on yes, to him. Well, I don't know. <laughs> while, while since you're mentioning it we might as well get into that. Um yeah, I mean what what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, that makes it a, a triple whammy, I guess. And and again, if if somebody a few years ago, professor of astronomy, had come out with, with something like this, he'd probably have been drummed out of his various professional um, federations and things. And, and people would have thought maybe he's had some sort of breakdown. But now I think there's a much wider and broader degree of societal acceptance of, of this. Now, of course, He's, as a tenured professor, he's got his academic freedom. So, so he's got a degree of protection when it comes to this. But you know, you know what? It's very interesting. Uh, Ralph Blumenthal, reporter at the New York Times, who was one of the three people who broke the, the story of the Navy videos and ATIP, along with Leslie Kane and Helene Cooper. Ralph has written, I don't think it's quite out yet. I think it's in the next few weeks or a couple of months. He's written a book on Dr. John Mack, of course, professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. So the parallels are very interesting that you've got these two distinguished Harvard professors coming out with information that portrays them, I suppose, as mavericks and, 
and things. Well, John Mack, of course, had a real, real fight. And I'm, I'm sure Ralph's book is going to get into a little of, of that. I'm, I'm reading the advanced proof copy right now. And very interesting it is too. But, but um, John Mack, of course, had a, a lot of pushback from Harvard. Avi Loeb, I think, is getting more support. But I mean, when, when challenged recently on this, he didn't just stick to his guns. He doubled down on it. And, and that, to me, is the interesting thing. He, he I suppose, more, maybe more freedom, more protection than John Mack had, I suppose, what, 30 years ago now, 25, 30 years ago. But um, Avi Loeb's claims, absolutely intriguing. And particularly, as I say, this doubling down where he said, well, that was the last one, but look out for the next ones. Because these won't be, these won't be, this isn't going to be a singleton. If civilization, if a civilization or multiple civilizations are doing this sort of thing, putting probes out in the direction of star systems where they think that life might evolve and there might be newly emerging civilizations, his point is look out for the next one and the one yeah. after that. Now, for those that, that don't know, we're talking about the uh, Muamua, the uh, what they're now saying could possibly have been a spaceship probe of some sort that uh, kind of jetted through our solar system, which is absolutely amazing. Um, what do you think the impacts would be if this were true um, on the public? I mean, knowing that they've been lied to for years and just all of a sudden being slapped in the face with this amazing truth, you know, what do you think the impacts of that would be? Well, I think that's a very interesting question because one one often hears about disclosure and of course in and of itself governments you know, should find disclosure I, I know this is going to be a counterintuitive statement but relatively easy because it's it's something a lot of people already believe so if the government or governments said you know we've discovered alien life a lot of people would be like well great you know always thought thought that was the case, but that's not that's not the issue. Of course, the issue, the problem for government is there are many scenarios where it's not just hey, people, we've found aliens. It's we found them nearly eighty years ago, and and we've been consistently lying about that. Well, you know what? Even if it's a lie, and I don't say that it is because you know let's. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt until we know the full story. But let's suppose it is. Let's suppose it is. There might there might still be a way through this for the government if there's a good enough reason for lying. I, I mean, look, if somebody in in the Second World War had said had thrust a microphone under the face of of FDR and said. Is it true that you're working on a new bomb that's going to use um, power of atomic fusion? And and you're going to be, you, he would have said, "Well, that's, that sounds like sci-fi to me, son." So so look, and afterwards, obviously, um, all would be revealed, or or when it when it was dropped, of course, in anger. So so there are there are legitimate reasons for lying, if and if if it's powerful enough and and somebody's got the whip hand over you, for example, and and it's like, no, planet Earth must not disclose this until we reach this point. Otherwise, 
this will happen. And, and you level with people and say, look, there were very good reasons for a cover up. And here are the reasons. A lot of people, I think reasonable people, just with the atomic bomb example, or have you broken the Japanese codes, um, cipher codes for the, the, you know, no, we haven't. Of course we haven't. We'd love to, but no, they're unbreakable. Yeah. If a lie is, is justified, then even a lie can be, can be excused. Right. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting to, to see what's happening right now and, and how the public, uh, you know, it, so far it seems that, you know, no one's really freaking out. It's, um, you know, I think the, the pace that it's coming out is, is at a pace to where it's not going to scare too many people. But um, I'm wondering if do you think the collective is ready to hear something like this? Uh, do you think that, you know, we would handle it okay if we knew for a fact that there is aliens and we, we've been interacting with them for years? Yes, I think so. I mean, of course, it's a, a very broad question you've asked that covers a, a variety of scenarios. If you were confronted with an imminent, imminent alien invasion, you might legitimately panic. And, and one often hears one of the big reasons for not leveling with people about this is that be panic in the street or undermining world religions. Um, yeah, and my point is, yeah, if, if, sure. If if we were facing an imminent alien invasion, I get that people would panic and rightly so. But if it's just there's aliens, then no, I think we are robust enough as a civilization to handle that and, and religion too. I, I don't think that would be a showstopper. Now, if it's there's an imminent alien invasion, we'd panic. Or if there was some truth about the alien presence too terrible to be told like yes there's an alien presence and by the way simulation theory is true and and planet earth and everyone and everything on it is just a computer program run by an extraterrestrial civilization that might be a little bit more tricky yeah, so that's right. why i say it's a broad question yeah yeah it is i i, I understand um i want to get your thoughts on um trump also signed a bill that released um that if it's going to force Congress to release all the classified UFO documents supposedly they have, um, why do you think uh, the urgency from these uh, politicians and, you know, Congress and people like that trying to, to get this UFO kind of information out there right now? Well, here's what happened. Back last year, the Senate Intelligence Committee and actually the uh, – Senate Armed Services Committee too, but um, uh, Armed Forces Committee, uh, and but also the uh, House committees. So essentially, the both the House and the Senate committees on uh, armed forces and intelligence said, "Look, come on, we've had, I suppose, three years now to digest this information about the U.S. Navy." videos and everything that's come with that. There, there have been some classified briefings in Congress about that, but we're not really much further forward than where we were in December 2017 when that New York Times article was published. So, of course, all these, all these senators and Congress people said, this is getting a little frustrating. So 
Senate Intelligence Committee took the lead and they said, right, here's what we want. We want a full report from Director of National Intelligence consulting um, Defense Secretary as, as a, and other agency heads as appropriate, FBI, some other ones. And essentially they wanted, they want, a, who knows what? You know, because their problem was that this is a disaster within government, particularly the highly classified, deeply compartmentalized military intelligence uh, areas. Lots of people over the years have had their fingerprints all over this subject, but there's no single point of contact. There seems to be very poor information sharing between these various agencies. So Senate Intelligence Committee, on behalf of Congress, said, right, we want a report. And they wrote that requirement into the Intelligence Authorization Act for 2021. But that act wasn't going to get through. There simply wasn't enough time. So as is often the case where something isn't particularly contentious, it got piggybacked onto another act that was definitely going to get through. And that is the COVID-19 relief bill that President Trump signed on December 27th. So that's how the Intelligence Authorization Act and the Senate Intelligence Committee's demands on UFOs got linked with the COVID bill and the clock is now ticking. I think D-Day, 180 days from enactment, falls on June 25th, I believe. Uh, no reason to suppose that they might come in early, they might ask for an extension, but June 25th is, is what we're looking for. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very interesting. They, they've already um, released uh, tons of documents. Um, I know that uh, John Greenwald from the Black Vault posted a lot, so it's very uh, going to be very interesting to see what's kind of uncovered once people start combing through those. Do you think this type of... Um, Disclosure will continue with into the new administration um, this year and beyond. Do you think it'll kind of ramp up or um, continue in any way? That's a difficult one to call because we really don't know anything about President Biden's opinion on this subject. And of course, he has one or two other things on his plate right now, I guess. Um, what, what we do know, though, very interestingly, is that Kamala Harris, as VP, she sat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. So she almost certainly is one of the people who've had this briefing already. Uh, Marco Rubio has had it, of course, and one or two others. But one assumes possibly that she's had that briefing and, and she'll be maybe taking the lead on, on this while President Biden concentrates on on. Uh, response to the pandemic and the associated uh, stimulus and rebooting of the economy, the rolling out of the vaccine and reopening. So, uh, that, but I, I don't know that for sure. That's just an assessment of, of how it might go down. So early days, obviously. Now, people shouldn't get their hopes up. This, this you know, you, you mentioned this in terms of it being a request to disclose all the documents, it's not necessarily going to go down quite like that. 
they in the Intelligence Authorization Act, which has been published, of course, uh, and it's on pages 11 and 12, there's a fairly detailed rundown of what the Intelligence Committee wants. And it is, for example, the identification of a single point of contact in government who is going to have responsibility for this. And it's an assessment um, of the potential national security threat to the United States of the phenomenon and the multiple repeated incursions into restricted military airspace. It's also the use of various intelligence techniques, um, satellite intelligence, Hament, Mazint, to, to compile this assessment. But the bad news is that the report must be unclassified. It can have a classified annex, but the report itself, which is probably all that the media and the public will see, is going to be unclassified. So, so people should not think of this in terms of this is going to be disclosure. It is another step, an important step down the road but it's more about the government internally sharing information across the military intelligence community and then letting Congress know where we are with this. Are you at a crossroads in life with unanswered questions? How does your past connect to your present life? October Hallam can help you discover how your past connects to your present and is shaping your future. October is an intuitive, healer, empath, and medium with over 20 years of experience helping people navigate through some of life's greatest challenges. A recent client from Egypt says, October is pure magic. We keep coming back for more and recommended her to our closest friends. If you would like to book a session with October, please contact her at the ancient gift. 222 at gmail.com. Now, in the UK, is is it the same? Are, are they are they giving the same push for, you know, uh, disclosure or talk of UFOs in the media or anything like that? It's just beginning to take off. The, the problem is that for the last three years, starting with the New York Times scoop about the Navy videos and ATIP, but going through into the linked stories of the Navy issuing guidance to its pilots on this, the classified briefings, the setting up of the UAP task force, and as we've just discussed now, the report that DNI has to deliver to Congress. The problem is that all that is a very US-centric story, of course, and it's been, it's been more difficult, I think, to engage the UK on this. Although I have to say that one of the dirty little secrets of this is that some of the UK newspapers, and believe it or not, some of the UK tabloids have actually run some of the most in-depth informed stories about ATIP and related matters that I've seen, largely because of the industriousness of two or three journalists who've become deep specialists in this. But generally speaking, of course, it's it's a little bit of a harder sell. 
you stop somebody on the street of the UK and they probably don't even know quite what the Senate Intelligence Committee is, for example, or, or what the Office of Naval Intelligence is, which is where the UAP task force was embedded. So, so it's a tougher sell, but the good news is that a group of, I, I think, predominantly younger activists are beginning to try to change that and try to engage with members of parliament on this, try to make sure that the media is aware of this and running stories on it, maybe try and make sure that the Ministry of Defense is, I guess, reaching out and engaging with the UAP task force in the US. So, so people in the US use this phrase, the young guns, and people talk about UAP UFO Twitter. Uh, these young Brits, these activists, are part of UFO Twitter, but they're doing their own thing. And the British government will has already has already declassified and released sixty thousand pages of UFO documents in in relating to. I mean, I I know because I wrote quite a lot of them. So, and, and there's more coming out soon, uh, more later. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see the UK increasingly involved in this. And you mentioned John Greenwald and his Black Vault website. Absolutely. I'm sure there'll be people in the UK doing the same sort of thing that John's done. And, and yeah, recently, John, of course, in the last couple, couple of weeks, uh, hosted more of these declassified CIA documents, nearly 3,000 of them, now that he's put in searchable PDF format. I, I think that's an interesting thing. Government sometimes doesn't make this easy for people to find or search through, shall we say. Oh, yeah. But definitely. more coming in the UK. Yes, the UK. Expect to see things happening in the UK for sure. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the UFO contact and abduction phenomenon in particular for a little bit. Um, if you had to pick two or three of the most profound actual contact or cases of abduction that you can think of uh, in modern history, what would be the most profound ones for you? Maybe two or three. Well, I suppose Travis Walton's experience, even after all these years, now that was 75. So it's so a long time ago now, but it's still, still something that, that, resonates and you only have to look at an interview with him and see that, that haunted look in his eyes and that sort of look and tone of voice that one sometimes sees with people and he's a tough guy i mean he and he and his uh, other fellow witnesses they were all loggers and they were a pretty tough crew shall we say right and uh, and yet You've got that that same look that that you see in people's eyes sometimes when they come back from from I'm talking about people on active duty military that come back with PTSD and you see that look. Well, these weren't military guys; these were loggers. But but that's a that's a tough life too in its way. And and yet he has this look in his eyes and his story hasn't changed his his thinking about it his feeling about it has evolved and and things but essentially he and the other witnesses have stuck to their stories 
they've certainly, I think, passed at least one lie detector test. I, I don't know that that necessarily means that much either way. But, but the interesting thing about that case is that for the people that said, oh, it was just a practical joke, when he didn't come back, there was very strong talk from the sheriff's department of, well, maybe the guys killed him and, and maybe we should be looking at a murder charge. If there's something, if there's one thing that would encourage you very quickly to say, yeah, no, 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 he's hiding. <laughs> it's all a, yeah, it's a con. He's, he's just down the street, yeah. hold up somewhere. It's the possibility that you'd be facing a murder charge. And yet they didn't. They, they doubled down on their denials and they said, no, this is what happened. There was a UFO, a beam of light. We thought he'd been killed. We drove away. When we came back, he was gone. So that's, that's a great case. Um, controversial though he is, Whitley Strieber is, is worth a lurk. And, and people forget just how influential communion was and the front cover of that book with the artist's impression of the alien gray and what oh, yeah. i think was phenomenal what people don't realize is how many letters and latterly emails uh whitley and his his late wife Anne received about that they published some of them i know afterwards as the communion letters well there's no smoke without fire so so whitley is uh I, I think a fascinating character who's who's worth a, a look. And then, um, you know, one of Bud Hopkins' classic cases, uh, Linda Cortile. Uh, that's another fascinating, multifaceted incident with so many twists and turns that that I, I wouldn't know where to start. There's a whole book just on that one case, I believe. And, um, yeah, so there's... There's three to, for people yeah. to chew on. Yeah, definitely. For me, one of them that always sticks in my mind is the aerial school sighting where, you know, these, all these young children had the same experience and encountered these beings. And still to this day, you know, they, they get back together and recount their, their stories. And it's, it's very compelling. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that case? Well, that's a fascinating one. I guess um, I, I, of course, I'm not counting that as an abduction case, but in terms of, of right. a contact case, absolutely. And I know James Fox put it in his excellent yes. documentary, uh, The Phenomenon. And I know that uh, I think it's Randall Nickerson has been working for years on a, a documentary exclusively on this case, uh, which I think I and many people in this field are very much looking forward to but yes out of the mouths of babes as the saying goes so yes these kids and i met a few of them i met a couple of them in in adult life now and and they absolutely stick to this story and and so i'm looking forward to to randall's documentary too um an intriguing an intriguing intriguing case um yeah, for, for those people, yeah, um, have a look at the phenomenon. Watch out for Randall Nickerson's documentary on this, and I'm sure we'll be learning more. Um, and, of course, if something like that happened now in an era where everyone would 
all the kids would have had their smartphones probably, then who knows? Yeah. And you mentioned the phenomenon. Something else they covered is how uh, on multiple occasions, UFOs have um, either been seen near nuclear facilities and even interfered or shut down some of the capabilities. Um, that being said, it seems like if they were a real threat that they would have you know, attacked or done something by now. So I'm not sure if, if uh, I would consider them a threat. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, certainly one could say that if you take the birth of the modern UFO phenomenon as been 1947, well, of course, some people say it goes back further than that, and ancient astronaut theorists say it goes back to the dawn of time. But just looking at modern era sightings, absolutely, yeah, there's been no – well, actually, you know what, one or two people would dispute this, but let's just generally say that one doesn't see – overt hostility from right. from ufos on a, a regular basis there there are some allegations of right. of course about some of the pilot cases but generally speaking I, I mean simply put we haven't we haven't faced an alien invasion yet so if this is a period of military reconnaissance it's a very long one um extrapolating that thought I, th I think you could say, yeah, it's a reasonable assumption that if they wanted to come here and destroy us or invade us, they could easily do so, would have done so, probably given the likely technology gap, there's nothing we could do about it anyway. So probably not a threat. Having said that, there is a counter argument. The counter argument is that in strict military terms, threat is actually defined as being a product of capability and intent. We know the value, if this is an equation, of capability from various data seems to be rather high. We don't really, frankly, know anything about intent. So in any, in our capability times intent equation, we don't have a value for one of the items. So we can't we can't solve the equation. So in strictness, we don't know if there is a threat or not. And as the saying goes, it's better to assume there's a threat and be pleasantly surprised if it doesn't materialize than the other way around. That said, yeah, you mentioned the um, issue of interaction with our strategic assets. That's one of the things, incidentally, that the just Jumping back to something we discussed earlier, it's one of the things that the Senate Intelligence Committee wanted to know. And understandably, that almost certainly will be in the classified annex to this. But yes, a lot of people say, if these are switching off um, incidents, as many believe, is this an inadvertent side effect of some, some sort of propulsion system or field or whatever it might be is it a demonstration of power we can do this so don't even think about messing with us or is it a threat because there was one case i believe from ukraine in 1982 i believe where instead of being shut down 
these strategic assets were put into their pre-launch sequence. So I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting thought, um, but you know, uh, you know, like we both said, it, it's probably not. But um, it's better to be cautious. Uh, that that is a good idea. Um, it, one thing that's always fascinated me is the phenomenon seems to kind of change with the collective consciousness over the years. I mean, back in the what twenties, thirties, forties, we had. We went from airships to saucers, and now we have these more advanced-looking light ships and plasma orbs and things like that. Um, it seems that the phenomenon kind of shifts with the collective consciousness. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Very much so. And I don't know if he coined it or not, but there's a, a very good British researcher called John Spencer who uses the phrase cultural tracking for this. And it's, it's precisely what you said. It's the idea that, that when people saw UFOs back in the day, they, they were, as we would, I suppose, imagine them to be. So, for example, when you got the, the contactees, they all came from Venus or, or, or Mars or something. And now, now it's Zeta Reticuli. When people claim to have been taken onto the ships, it was all buttons and dials and what, now what would look like rather old-fashioned computers uh, and no sort of smartphone technology. Um, the warnings that contactees and abductees were given, the messages that they received, also seemed to reflect the prevailing culture. So... A few years ago, it was all dangers of nuclear war. Now it's gone more environmental. Does this mean that all these people are making it up and that they're just mining the contemporary culture, whether it's science fiction or whether it's issues that are of concern to people? Or does it mean that people are not lying but they're interacting with something, but perceiving it in a way that somehow, you know, still reflects something of oneself in the experience. Uh, or, or are there other answers? I, I don't have answers to those questions, but my goodness, it's an interesting facet of this. And it's, it's one that the true believers, I think, do need to face because on the, on the surface, it's actually quite a skeptical argument that that well this can't be real because it it seems to reflect what people would say in the particular time in which these these alleged encounters are occurring so i think the believer community need to need to maybe do a little thinking about that yeah i'd agree um how much of the actual ufo phenomenon do you think is being mistaken um, that that's actually just military craft or experimental craft? Um, I would think it's a good portion that's being mistaken for off-planet vehicles. It's some, but I would hazard a guess it's not quite as much as, as some people might think. And here's why. I think that when you're developing and testing your kit, whether it's missiles, aircraft, or drones, 
you would do that in very remote, restricted airspace. So whether we're talking Area 51 or whether we're talking about some of the big offshore ranges and, and restricted areas. And, and of course, with a lot of stuff, you, you hide it to a very large extent by doing it at night. So yes, inevitably secret prototype aircraft, missiles and drones will get mistaken for UFOs when they are seen. But I would, I would say they're not necessarily seen that much. Now there comes a time, you could look at the history of the U-2 and the SR-71 Blackbird. And a lot of the time, these things were being test flown and people didn't see them because of where they were being test flown. Now, ultimately, of course, they have to go operational. Otherwise, there's no, thing, no point having the things in the first place. So at some point, pilots will start to see them and report them. And that's where it's more useful to the USAF and the CIA or whoever if people say, hey, I've seen a flying saucer, as opposed to, hey, I've seen the United States new spy plane. So, but these things, yeah, so, so some misidentifications, but not that many. And Marco Rubio, who I mentioned earlier, made an interesting point about this when somebody said to him in relation to those US Navy videos, for example, well, do you think all this could be Russia or China? And he turned around and said, you know what, or indeed our own tech, deep black projects, heavily compartmentalized, so you've got left hand, right hand. But Rubio turned around and said, you know what, certainly in relation to Russia or China, I'd rather this was extraterrestrial. Because he said, if Russia or China have made these sorts of quantum leap breakthroughs suggested by the technology as we're perceiving it in terms of speeds, accelerations, maneuverability, then we're in big trouble. So he said, yeah, I'd rather it was aliens than, than Chinese or Russians. Yeah, I think I, I would definitely too. Um, the more I look at the phenomenon in whole and I step back in, you know, the sightings, abductions, um, hybrid programs, people talking about they're seeing children on their ships, the secrecy from government, the intentional disinformation. You mentioned earlier, you know, what if we found out it was some sort of simulation? But, you know, when you look at everything, it kind of makes me think, man, it, it seems like we may be some sort of experiment for, for extraterrestrials. Uh, I mean, when you step back and look at everything and put it together, that's the way it looks to me. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever had any thoughts about that. I have, yes. I mean, the, the idea, that's one of the things when I mentioned, when I used the phrase, a secret too terrible to be told, I meant that to encompass a number of separate but profoundly, I suppose, paradigm-shattering ideas. Simulation theory was one, but yeah, absolutely. Science experiment is, is another. Um, that we are simply being farmed and harvested is a third, um, whether it's harvested for, I don't know what, but some would, would say genetic material and and maybe hybridization program, but who knows? Um, so yeah, those are there are three theories straight off: simulation theory, um, alien science experiment, and the farm. But there are others 
I mean, prison planet, uh, you know, all, all sorts, all sorts. And yeah, maybe those are the sorts of things that would be deeply disturbing in terms of, of our, our, not just our personal paradigms, but, but just everything. If to find out that we're, we're a, an experiment. And if we are an experiment, one can only hope that it's on a, a sort of global societal level. In other words, that there's a whole civilization out there with something invested in planet Earth. And it's not just some kid, some alien kid science experiment at, at high school level. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's such Because eventually, eventually, all experiments come to an end, one assumes, or most do. And someone might say, okay, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Completely yeah. messed up. Scrub it and start again. Yeah, and there's thoughts that, you know, that's actually what happened in our ancient past with these major uh, cataclysms that, you know, the, the creator or whoever made this experiment it went wrong and wanted to, to wipe it out and start over. So it's definitely an intriguing, very intriguing thought. And um, Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Before you leave, could you tell us a little bit about your new books, Operation Thunderchild and Operation Lightning Strike? Certainly. They are sci-fi novels. I thought, yeah, why not have a go at writing some science fiction, but deeply um, intertwined with the factual UFO phenomenon, and indeed some of the other things that I did at the Ministry of Defense, more related to conventional war fighting. So Operation Thunderchild and Operation Lightning Strike are really how I think an alien invasion might really go down and, and the, they're direct sequels. The lightning strike comes after Thunderchild. Uh, it's how an alien invasion might really go down in terms of everything, the political systems, the hardware, everything. So, and for that reason, they are the only sci-fi novels that I'm aware of that have ever needed to go through the government security vetting process. And um, that's not actually my latest book. My latest book is called Blood Brothers. That's another thriller. And that one's nothing to do with UFOs. But if, if anyone likes the shadowy world of the intelligence community, but also special forces, um, counterterrorism, it's a thriller about a multi-agency group of special forces people and intelligence officers fighting back against a modern terror threat. So that's Blood Brothers. And that needed security clearance too, of course. But uh, it's it's all on my website, which is nickpope.net. And there are also links on nickpope.net to my social media accounts, including Twitter, where I am Nick Pope MOD for Ministry of Defense. So Nick Pope MOD on Twitter. Now, as you mentioned earlier, and I'm sure it's in your book, uh, that it, it wouldn't be hard for an advanced civilization to to take us over, right? It, it probably would could be done within a matter of minutes or hours. Probably seconds. I, I mean, the in a universe nearly 14 billion years old, it's perfectly conceivable there are civilizations out there with a billion-year head start on us. But let's say... 
take account of star formation and the second wave. Let's, let's just say it's only a few million years ahead of us. Well, we've seen from terrestrial history, Stephen Hawking always used to use the analogy about the, the European explorers encountering the Native Americans and the, the technology gap there and how that turned out. Well, imagine if the technology gap was a, a few million years between us and civilizations with viable interstellar travel. That's, that's the, but that wouldn't make a very entertaining book. So I, I, had, to, I had to play with the parameters somewhat. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on tonight. That was fantastic information. And I'd love to have you back on sometime in the future. Sure. Well, there's a lot going on right now. So yeah, we can circle back. And maybe when this Senate Intelligence Committee uh, remit is fulfilled, and when we get this report, and when when that's or you know, even if we don't get the classified annex in the media and the public, but the Congress will have had more. Maybe when that's out, it'll make a splash and they'll, we can circle back and discuss that. But yeah, thank that you for having great. me on the show. I have to say your, your questions took us to some really interesting places. Uh, and this interview was a deep dive into some areas, including some more speculative ones that I don't often get to. So thank you very much. Yes, that was, that was Brilliant. Thank you so much, uh, Nick. And uh, for everyone else, have an excellent evening, and we will see you again tonight with a new episode of the Forbidden News Update. Are you ready to live a more free, healthy, and abundant life? Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system for self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant and you can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging and learn how to turn your property into an income producing source of economic self-reliance they can help you get off grid and learn what systems to employ for food water and energy self-reliance and live abundantly and in full connection with your property and what you produce. Click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood and become self-sufficient with food forest abundance. Just click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest today.